We're live. We are back. What's up? Man, not a lot. Uh, just really kind of getting back into the, the mojo of things after Summer Strong. Um, real quick overview. I thought it was I thought it was a really good event. I mean, very unique. And I've I have thought about it, and I have considered it, and I've talked to other people about it. I was actually actively talking to as many people as I could about it in the event of what do you feel? What do you like right now? What's it What's it feel like compared to the rest? And I think the fact that it was uh, it was very mild. It was in the 70s both days. And you know, that, that yeah. place is like the center of Earth. It's like... It's yeah, it was like touching triple digits last time lava. I was. Yeah, yeah, 90 degrees at 9 o'clock at night is not fun with 100% humidity. So I think there was something to that. I did not hear a bit about politics or current news. I mean, it, it really did seem like a very intentional and serious group of strength coaches more so than I've seen in the past. And I, I don't want to detract from any of the previous years cause they've all had certain elements of greatness, but this one just felt like it was a very attentive group. Um, there were less speakers this year. And I think that gave people some room to breathe. You know, yeah. they, they were a little bit more casual and like, okay, there's only seven speakers. I want to see five of them. Yeah, you know, rather than there's 15 yep. speakers or there are 12 speakers or whatever, and you're kind of tied to a chair all day, and I think that opened the door to a lot of uh, a lot of off sh- like offshoot communication. A lot of coaches sitting around brainstorming. I know Greg and the Wolf Brigade br- grew, uh, crew was inundated with coaches all day long, both days, yeah. uh, especially after Greg's presentation. I mean, unfortunately, on that front. Um, you know, someone like that that could have done demonstrative instruction wasn't given three hours. But, you know, Greg has an entire weekend and just right. touches the tip of the iceberg. So, yeah, it was, uh, man, I don't, you know, in the in the lineage of things, I've been to uh, 10 of them now. Um, I don't know where this one ranks just yet because I think I'm a kind of person that likes a little distance from things before mm-hmm. I put them in perspective. But I really enjoyed it. Um, I had a little bit more of a of I did the deadlift MC but I was able to just kind of disengage from a lot of the stuff because one as a credit to the team and the organization that Sornex has put into the event I mean I know that from inside you know leading up to it like most things that are a flagship event it seems like the house is on fire but when you see the actualization of it you know Josh Ricky Burt um, and the crew that they've assembled just really they knocked it out of the park. And I know that there were some yeah. things, there's always things um, yep. that you can check is like, we can do better or these are problems, but I don't think the average person would point back that, man, there was a lot of problems or there was this or that. Like I think to the attendees, it was a flawless event. And as a company, I don't really think you can shoot for more. So people were excited about strength. People were lifting and pushing each other. Uh, the deadlift, my portion of it. I mean, dude, as somebody who often, somewhat tries to forget parts of my life. I've done a really good job about pushing myself away from powerlifting um, as you know, not trying to immerse myself in it, but also with that, I've just kind of forgotten the relevance that I had in the sport sometimes. So when you go to a place like summer strong, there's a lot of coaches, there's a lot of lifters. Some of the feedback that I got from lifters or the, you know, the recognition that man, they were, excited that I was on a microphone while they got to lift is not lost on me. When I was, when I was lifting, I think it certainly was, I took it for granted. You know, like I thought, mm-hmm. man, I'm the shit. I'm still going to be here 10 years from now. I'm like, but now where it's, those are a little fewer and far between. Um, I have a better and much deeper appreciation for them. So I, you know, my, my take on it was it was a great event. It was a place where people could forget the noise of the world for a few days. And, um, it, it just seemed like everybody had a good time. I hope so. When you, I was going to ask you this too, because even after, you know, because I didn't go last year. So it was two years ago when I was down there for Summer Strong last. Um, when you do the the MC stuff for the deadlift, you mentioned that like you kind of distance yourself from or have distanced yourself from the, the powerlifting realm of things. Mm-hmm. But in that, in that setting, when like everybody's just fired up and like actual big lifts are happening and stuff. Not that it makes you feel like you want to go lift, but is there any part where like just in your, 
body, you kind of remember that feeling of like, oh, this is this is bringing me back ten years or well, you know, however far, just to like from a from a feeling standpoint. Not that like you want to go rip a bar off the ground, but you know, you just kind of remember what that's like. I, I'll tell you this: I'll give you a parallel. I answer the question and then give you a parallel. Um, the immediate answer would be no, and I've mm-hmm. dealt with this in in stages, and the stage I'm in right now is pure appreciation of being a spectator of it. Like not, Oh, I would have done this or I could have done that, or I could do more than this. It truly is like, man, I know how freaking hard this is. Mm. And I, like, I admire that strength when it's present and not, not in the fact of like being in the room, but like in this person's life right now, if they pick up something really, really heavy, I know what it took to do that. And I know what it means to them. So from yeah. an outside appreciation, I have that. Um, there were definitely a few times where I looked at like a you know six hundred pound barbell when they were when they were moving up, and I was like, "Man, can I pull that right now?" And like the dumb the dumb idiot me that has videos. Do you think you could? Uh, six hundred would be probably right at the cap end of what I would think, yeah. what I would estimate myself capable of. I've done five fifty for four. I mean, um, it was five. It was five forty something for four, um, uh, pretty smoothly. I'd actually, it was a set of three that just felt good enough for a fourth, um, might've had a fifth. So would I confidently say 600 pound deadlift? No. Have I intentionally detrained myself to that end? Yes. Like I, I don't really care about that so much. Um, but yeah, man, it, it's, there's something visceral there when I see it. Um, especially as we get heavier, even in, you know, heavier is a relative term, like watching the females lift in the three hundreds, um, is always going to be impressive to me on a deadlift. Watching the guys get up in the six, 700 range is always going to be impressive. And I think I did have the the big dick mentality when I was lifting that if you weren't lifting more than me, it was irrelevant. And, um, that's a competitive mindset. That is a self-preservation mindset of staying focused. And, uh, but now I see how strong all these people are like, what the fuck? It's, it's their journey, wherever they are. If they're, if they're telling me this is a PR, they're the best they've ever been in front of me. So it's a, it's a different perspective on it, but I will tell you this. I haven't felt something like this in a long time. And I I would just call it like a, a performance anticipation or whatever, but I got to train and outside and, you know, I was doing some circus kind of lifts. I was doing some one arm snatch, some mace stuff and, uh, not to reference the mace as a circus lift, but just saying like I was doing some of the strongman implements mm-hmm. and, uh, they had this really fat, like one fifteen kettlebell. And, mm-hmm. um, it was like absurdly round. So that made the, the snatch of the object a little bit weird. Cause if it got outside, the momentum would pull you out. So I like, you know, I basically comored myself three or four times <laughs> getting this yeah. thing around, knocked the shit out of myself. Cause it came out and I like drug it back in and it swung in and smacked me in the back of the head, you know, and, uh, ended up that was fine, but I did get it. Um, I just kind of progressively worked my way up, but before, you know, I'd missed it a couple times just with the oddness of it, the 95 or whatever it was went smoothly. 115 seemed like a relatively normal, sane jump. And, uh, I had done that God, I did a 165 or 170 at my strongest, like no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, this 115 is going to be kind of cake. So I underestimated it, uh, mishandled it, went back for it and just mishandled it again. So then like that, I don't know if it's like the ego, if it's like the pride in me or just the desire to do something that is really hard that kicked in. And I felt, I felt that juice again, you know, that, yeah. that feeling, Um, you know, and I don't really get that in jujitsu because it's a slow game, you know, it's kind of like you can get amped up, but it's like, you better not get too amped because you you got to be able to focus out, but like that immediate drag racer, when you say go, it's go time, uh, kind of thing was cool for me to feel. Cause like in my gym, I don't generally train that way. I don't generally try to push the envelope of like, this is something I can literally maybe only do once, you know, and, uh, it did expose a weakness in me. I don't know. I don't know how much I need to keep snatching one arm snatches to feel strong because overall I feel strong. The people I wrestle with tell me I feel strong. 
Um, I think what I'm doing is working, but it's always like when you get proof that, man, years ago, this would have been like something I could have done five or six times in a row, Mm -hmm. regardless that I was a hundred pounds heavier and juiced out of my mind. Um, it's still, I think there's still a part of that admission of, man, I'm not as strong as I was, but Mm -hmm. relative strength, I feel great. That's awesome. It kind of, and it kind of leads into, uh, one of the things that I had texted you about yesterday that I've been thinking on as far, like some, some training, like ideas or just thoughts that I've had. Uh, um, I've been thinking of a lot of the guys that were like the old boxers mm-hmm. and even, even Tyson, mm-hmm. right. And, or, or like the martial artists or like the stories about guys like Herschel Walker, who obviously like all of them had some component of, of probably what we would consider a strength and conditioning program. Mm-hmm. Right. And this old, I'll, I'll tell you like the genesis of this thought came from, having some conversations with some of the guys that I'm coaching and talking about like, do, do we really need any sort of novelty in any kind of training aspect, right? Like we, as far as training phases and needing different lifts to express different things, like I understand and I agree with the benefit of all those things. Mm -hmm. I'm saying this on the front end, sure. but like when you hear stories about how Herschel Walker would do like a thousand pushups, a thousand pull-ups and a thousand sit-ups like a day Mm -hmm. or whatever that ungodly number was like he obviously would have still been Herschel Walker if he hadn't have done them to that number. Right. But, or, or guys like Tyson would wake up and run six miles every morning and then he would just do body weight exercises and then he would just train his, his boxing. Like the, you know, there's these just things that everybody does every day Mm -hmm. and that's like what their training is. And that's how you train your body. It's like, I have, this many things of this, I'm going to just do that every single day. It's not like a sets and reps broken down training program. So I'm thinking about this. How do I make this practical in my example? And it's like, if, if I was telling myself, look, what are like the the handful of movements that'll make sure I'm hitting everything. But it's like, I just give myself a number of reps mm-hmm. and it's like, you do this number of reps of these five or six things every day. Doesn't matter what they are. Like if, if I'm going to do it every single day, I'm going to be in, I'm going to be pretty strong enough and in pretty good shape for the most part. Yeah. You know, so I was thinking about it like in, uh, it is putting together a couple of these movements. Like you could do some sort of press, like a, like obviously a, a push up, and not all of them even have to be body weight, but like if we're doing like a push up or even Hindu push ups, like Terrence used to do that, mm-hmm. uh, open up a little bit more range of motion in the chest and everything we do like a, you know, walking lunge, you threw, you do like, you could do some kettlebell swings mm-hmm. and then like some kind of carries, like you could put together like f- four to six things. And it's just like, I'm just going to do five to 10 minutes of however many reps I want to do at all of those things. And I won't ne- really need to do anything else. Anything else I do is just extra, like extra, but bo- like bonus work kind of things. Like if I wanted to go one week or one day and be like, let's see how, heavy I can lift, like how heavy of a sandbag I can lift for Mm -hmm. three or four reps, or if I want to pull some weight off the floor or something like that. But I was thinking like before all of the structured sets and reps and stuff, like guys were still super fit Mm -hmm. with very basic knowledge or little knowledge of any of this. It's just like, I just have to do this every single day. You know, it doesn't matter. Like I'm never going to, it doesn't matter if you're tired of it. These are the things that work. Yeah. Right. So it, does that make sense of like how I'm, cause I'm trying to talk this out and how I was putting this web of thoughts together in my head as I'm talking to you about it. Yeah. But I think a lot of people get too consumed with, you know, I need to be on this. I'm in this block. I'm testing this specific thing for four weeks. And then I need to make sure I change this lift over to get, you know, bump this percentage up. And I'm like, if we're talking about how are we going to make this sustainable, especially for people at the beginning, I could literally tell them like, look, you have a hundred reps of five exercises. You're going to do them every single day. Yeah. And that's literally it. Like, I don't want you to have to think about anything Yeah. because it's about establishing the movement habit. Does that make sense? It does. And I'll say this with all respect to, um, to Louie and, and the West side barbell method, you know, I trained there. Um, mm-hmm. and I've had a, I've had a circular relationship with that gym and, you know, Louie and I ended on good terms and, you know, it's, it's a fantastic system. You can't, you can't fault the system at all, but here's the truth. The system is written in a static form in all of his books and on his publications. 
that is valuable, like meat and potatoes information that if you use from now until forever, it will make you better. The workouts that we did inside the gym were always experimental, always exploratory. We were always trying to push the edge, which a lot of times in the gym meant failure, but it, uh, to yeah. Louie, it also meant feedback. And it also right. meant like adjustments and tweaking. So our system was never a solidified, like it was around concepts. It was around ideas, yep. but I think the hyper specific structure of our nature in training was, you know, if there was any mathematics to it, it was haphazard and bullshit at most. Like what we did was eight sets of two on Fridays and inevitably, you know, you were supposed to be at a certain uh, band or bar weight. Doesn't matter. Like in that setting, you cannot let yourself believe, even if science, even if Louis, even if the guys before you are doing exactly what Louis's book said, there's always yeah. guys pushing 5, 10, 15, 20 pounds heavier than the book, uh, yeah. whether it's for ego, whether it's for Louis believes that this week they just need to do that. So a living, breathing training cycle like that is much, much different than what is statically put down on paper. So I would like to, you right. know, people to just understand that coming out of hunting season. I think we talked about this a little bit. I train Greg's uh, program pretty religiously. I always take some Liberty to it just because of like my injuries and things that, um, you know, I don't avoid things that I don't enjoy, but I do avoid things that leave me sore in a way that isn't like muscular. So yep. there's very few of those things, but I do make adjustments. And sometimes I just don't feel like doing Greg's workout and I do something for myself. But coming back, I will tell you this. Um, when I started training jujitsu back in January, I was very burned out on hunting. I was very burned out on Greg's training. Um, and not from the sense of try, it was trying to marry those two together. And Greg and Greg's training is very, very, uh, to me, I take it very personal because Greg is my friend and I cannot, I, I will not fail at something that he has invested in me for. So that was my problem is I couldn't give it all that I had. So I needed something different right now. And that's where I was burned out was holding that line of Greg's standard. Mm -hmm. So I started doing exactly what you're talking about. You know, I started thinking about my workout as in five minute, five minute rounds of jujitsu, like you know, when I'm on a rower and I'm doing five minutes on, on my circuit there on the rower, I usually tend to imagine how a jujitsu match goes for me. And as stupid as that sounds, it makes that five minutes more meaningful and intentional. Mm -hmm. So I mm -hmm. start out slow and then it's like 20 or 30 seconds as hard as I can go. And then it's nice, slow, hard pulls, but slow movement, things like that. Mm -hmm. I just create a match in my mind. Sandbag carries. I've got to, I've got to keep this sandbag on me for 20 minutes just like a heavy ass opponent that I don't want on mm -hmm. me. Can't put it mm -hmm. down, but I've got, I can put it in this hand. I can put it this hand. I can put it on this shoulder. I can zurcher it. I can, whatever I can do with it, just can't put it down. So for me, I think that there's probably some sense of that as primitive as their, their education on strength and conditioning might've been, they can look at, that's how people put those dumbbells in their hands when they're punching. They mm -hmm. understand this, this is what I'm doing. I don't know why I think this is going to make me a better puncher, which some people say it won't because it throws your timing off. Mm -hmm. But the idea of being able to be stronger in those exact same planes would lead me to think that most of these these early, I'll say primitive strength and conditioning programs, but like early on, um, were more revolved around, okay, what muscles are functioning? That's probably less important to that era. You know, I think you had the Eugen Sandows or Eugen Sandows and that type that were like, how does this muscle function and how can I build it? Then yeah. you get into the sport specific stuff where it's like, how can I make something in the gym mimic what you're going to be doing in your sport? And I think yeah. we probably started building the house from the roof down in that sense instead of, okay, let's get all of our athletes across a basis of strength and then sport specify. And really to me, Sport specificity is more of athlete specificity because, you know, the lifting doesn't understand that you're training a javelin thrower on one hand and you're training a baseball player on the other. The, the coach understands that. But also, what if your javelin thrower is extremely, extremely strong but lacks fast twitch fiber? You know, how would you train that athlete versus just a, a basis of training him exactly like somebody else who is in an explosive sport? 
you're going to train them to the athlete's needs if you want the best athlete. Coaching in a college setting or a high school setting where you have a team, you're going to have to generalize. You're going to have to build yeah. some kind of accommodation there. But I also know a guy right now, Corey Chapman. I don't want to overstep because he's very, very detailed. But he has those dog aspects of his program where it's just hard shit that, yeah. that builds toughness, that builds grit, that builds character. But it's also a repetitive building block to the field. You know, yep. and I think that's what you if you can marry the idea that strength should have a base across whether it's squat, bench, deadlift, clean and jerk, snatch, um, a CrossFit type curriculum, whatever your base of strength measure is, um, it's going to be exposed. So you better choose the right ones. And I think that those are going to be more in the building blocks of powerlifting, weightlifting and then strongman implement, implementation. Yeah. You know, um, it's just one of those things. It's like. There's a, there's a marriage of those things that can be really, really beneficial to the individual athlete or the team. And um, I think the old boxers, it goes back to your thing the other day about the 200-point victory. And actually, I talked about this. As coaches, what obligation do we have to these kids to not over-specialize them as athletes? Not just in a training mm -hmm. room, but as athletes in a mindset. Because... Mm -hmm. Those guys in the left that lost 200 to nothing to today's hyper athletes probably had career development skills that are yeah. that were there when the sport was no longer. The problem with these kids today is that they're they're sold on a program, and I know I'm getting a little bit off topic in the weeds here, but I, I think that they're sold on the idea that they are going to be a pro athlete. So go all in. So right. to me, this comes back to is this a is this a solve? for that issue if we can implement some of these harder more not necessarily weight specific stuff but like the stuff that you're talking about um yeah. just a basis of discipline that's very very hard uh in a physical sense would that have any social impact to them in the workforce i don't know that's a, that's a dumb finish to that statement yeah, but like no, all no, of that kind of tied mm -hmm. in there it did because i i'm thinking is all of this came about from the point of establishing habit and discipline mm -hmm. in, in guys that are relatively new, right? Yep. Because it's like, well, especially if you're brand new, depending on where you're coming into whatever training program, if it's your first one, if it's, you know, you never really been around much, you don't need to know the, a lot of the details on stuff at the beginning, right? Like it helps to understand why you're doing some things versus others from just a, now I have a little bit of knowledge, but that's, you know, that's what a coach is for is to understand the, the weeds and the details on stuff. And mm -hmm. unless you're just generally interested, like a lot of people don't need a lot of the information about why something is put together that the way that it is, they just need to know why it's going to work. And for a lot of guys, they can see if I, if we give them like several basic movements and it's like, just do these every single day, yep. get a sweat, do reps, do it in rounds, chunk them together. However you want, you could do it in groups of two or three or four supersets and split them up. It's like these five, these basic five movements are like all you need. Yeah. And we, and once you establish this, we can build off of them in the variations that exist of those movements or add in an implement that expresses those that strength or that capacity in a different way, mm -hmm. right? But for a huge amount of people and a huge amount of men specifically who are just trying to establish the, the habit and the discipline of training every day, because that's the other thing, I think we've we've tried to optimize so much that like we, we forget that we don't, I, I don't know that like rest days necessarily need to exist. How a lot of people treat them where it's like, Oh, I trained hard yesterday. I can't do anything today. Cause I don't want to mess up tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow's lift. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause they're trying to optimize this so much. And unless you're competing in a thing at a, at a high level or at any level where you, it, a competition is a part of it, like I get it in that sense. Right. Because you're trying to dial in for a specific moment. Well, right. But for people that are just like trying to train and be strong, there's no reason that you can't be doing something every day. And if mm -hmm. all you've got to do is these five movements or whatever it is, like just go out and spend 30 minutes doing them. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Like do, and this is how you begin the process of this. I just have something to do. 
well, I don't know what to do. Well, look, I gave you five movements. I don't care how many reps you do of them. Just go do them for 30 straight minutes. Yeah. You know what and, I mean? Well, and I think you strip it down. You really do strip it down to a valuable point. Like the best progress I made as far as physical conditioning, um, I was working with Terrence. Now that's, you know, I was very, very strict with my stuff with him. But mm-hmm. all of the workouts, I would start that um, – sound and fury album it's 41 minutes and if you remember back you know in my story it was like 41 minutes of don't talk to me and -hmm. i would put that on and i would conduct all of my training inside 41 minutes and even if i went off protocol and didn't do what terrence had sent that day that album was my training marker in 41 minutes of like i'm going to go in here i'm not just going to do the reps and sets i'm going to go through here and do these motherfuckers as hard as I can, or as, you know, like if I'm doing tempo stuff as patiently as I can, uh, really make this 41 minute. Cause you're in there. If it's 41 minutes, you are the only deciding factor of how, yep. of what you get from that workout. I know people that can get nothing from 41 minutes. I wanted to literally collapse. And that's why I love those videos when I was walking around and the sweat was just absolutely dripping off of me. My floor mm-hmm. looked like I'd been rolling jujitsu, but it was 41 <laughs> minutes of kettlebells, maces and pushups you know, yep. pull-ups. Um, yep. so I think that people do over complicate the process quite a bit. Like go pick up something that's really, really hard to do for a minute and then do that 30 times, you know, yeah. like you're, exactly. you're going to get better. And I do think that you need to reach a point where you're feeling the, the, the fear of, I can't do this anymore. I can't do yep. this anymore. I can't do this. And every time that you say that, and, and again, I'm circling back to jujitsu because that's what I think about. There are times like when you're learning to accept a choke or you're learning to just angle through an arm bar. It's like, it's going to break. It's going to break. It's going to break. And then you got to just keep going. And it's, you learn that I'm not nearly in as much danger as I thought I was or getting it on an ice bath. It's not nearly as cold as it feels the first time, you know, yeah. once you start building those adaptations and that's what I think people just need to realize workout density, how much work can you do? in a set amount of time that is the most valuable and i would tell you the people that are the the true greats are they can pack a shit ton of work into Very the efficient. same time that you can that's that's money that's sport that's whatever it is yep. the most efficient are, are usually the most successful and the thing that it does really well when you put a time on it and so i'm going to take this in two different directions one it forces you to, especially if you're going to tell yourself, I'm doing this much work in this amount of time. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I could say I'm going to work out in 41 minutes and not do much, but I was technically working out for 41 minutes. Yeah. Right. Like, so if you're giving yourself, like, I have a lot of work I need to get done. It forces you to crank up the intensity, mm-hmm. which a lot of people don't do as often as they should, because from it's uncomfortable, right? Like, it's not that fun. Right. And say what you will about the rest of the methodology. That's one of the things that I think CrossFit did brilliantly Mm -hmm. was like, look, we have 12 minutes and you're going to do as many rounds of this as you can in 12 minutes. You have 15 minutes, you have a 20 minute. And it's like, you're working constantly and it's hard work. And most people have never worked that hard on purpose, right? like (laughs) that consistently, you know? And so there's a lot of benefit to this time or this rounded you know, rounds, rounded, meaning like different rounds Mm -hmm. of stuff because it forces you to crank up your intensity and effort in that, because I look, I have to get this done. I'm not going to go one second over the amount of time that I've allotted for myself. And I have this amount of work to do regardless. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I can kind of coast through it and maybe I hit it or it's like, or I just do it. And I focus on the technique of it. And I, and I go hard, like you're saying, and put effort into it. And I just, and, and that was kind of, like I said, the genesis of a lot of this, because I think about like these, like the Tyson guys where they would just do ungodly numbers of stuff. And it's like, I I don't even know that that type of training was like, it it was almost like, this is the amount of stuff I have to do to at least stay where I am fitness wise. Mm -hmm. Like it was almost this, I just have to do this so I can remain here, but my other effort is going to be learning how to be the most or the best boxer of all time. Yeah. Like I'm spending it on the skill of the sport, but it's like, I have this chunk of thing 
that is required of me in order to even maintain where I am right now, which is still freakish, right? And you build that up over time. So you think about raising the floor, essentially, with these types of protocols where it's like, maybe it's only 50 reps of everything is only I can, is all I can do mm-hmm. right now or whatever it is. But it's like, do that for a couple of months and you might be at 200 reps of everything. Yep. And like your floor has raised and you can put more effort into those things at that point. Well, that was something that I focused on in the second book that we published with Juggernaut, uh, the 365 mm-hmm. Strong, was the idea that I am not necessarily married to the idea that I need, now this is, this is a little bit backwards, mm-hmm. as a powerlifter, I had to detach myself from the idea that the only PRs that mattered were the top ones. Because when I was mm-hmm. at Westside in my younger days, that was the only stuff I measured. It didn't matter if everything yep. else was progressing. Uh, if I didn't get stronger there, it didn't matter. That's true. That's still a true statement if you are a competitive powerlifter. But I started to do what you're talking about right there. I started trying to focus on the breadth of my strength. Okay, if I stay in this very thin line, I get stronger. What exercise, what one exercise can I add to my four-week cycle and milk something from to see a positive change? Okay, that's great. What exercise can I take away this next cycle to see a positive gain. So I was always Mm -hmm. playing these kind of games like that. Um, But I also think that it's very, very important to, to understand. Yes. If you can do this every single day, the, the limit, like let's say you can run 10 minutes every single day and that's all you ever do. And your time is just, I'm going to run 10 minutes and that's going to be one mile that, that lends itself to a certain uh, efficiency for a two mile run or a three mile run Mm -hmm. or a four mile run. But let's say that you perpetually try to improve the distance that you can go in that 10 minutes or Mm -hmm. the pace that you can sustain beyond 10 minutes on and on and on. There's so many ways to keep marking that improvement, but a person who is always, always progressing by just fractional improvement is going to be the person that long passes the person who just stays to the idea of, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do these, this many sets of this many reps in this amount of time that is not that is that is beautiful on paper but how you do those reps how you manage your time those things start becoming more important as you become a seasoned trainer in the beginning if all you can do if you have no other basis go in go through the reps and sets take your time do what you need to do but every workout should be more challenging the weight should be heavier the reps should be cleaner on and on and on forever there's a million ways to skin a cat I'm going to pause real quick. Okay. I have a, a little thing popping up on the on my monitor here. I'm just going to tech it real quick. Okay, cool. I'll check my Pops. phone real quick. Okay, tech problem China. <laughs> <laughs> they're tapping me, man. I got to cover the camera with a piece of black tape oh, or yeah. something so they're not looking at me all the oh, time. Dude, they got me. It's a Snowden they got deal. Me. <laughs> so... Um, uh, we were just kind of wrapping up about the, the workout efficiency, density, yeah. like yeah. not, not every yeah. rep is a rep. Not every set is a set. Right. Not every minute in the gym is a minute in the gym. And I just think that a person has to have the mindset, do one more rep, find a way to find, you know, over the course of a few weeks, build more sets and work out the amount of time, or I'm sorry, build the work that you do in the same amount of time. Like when you're adding yes. those reps, when you're adding those sets, work faster, take shorter breaks. I mean, all within reason, you know, but for me, 30, 40 minute workouts, I am very seldom without something in my hand or doing something as far as training, like sip of water, walk from one station to the next or walk from one implement to the next. And I am, I am rolling. I mean, what would you, okay. So on this, on this note right here, yeah, I've thought about this a lot. You have, I'll say, Jeez, let's say fifteen hundred dollars, and you want to and you want to okay. build your. This is this is my man shed, this is my training shed, mm-hmm. um, this is all the equipment I can ever own, and you have fifteen hundred dollars. This is a good question. So, the most. I would say, okay, so let's start with this. I'll just go by groups here because I'm, I'm already in my head. I can, I'm looking yep. at it, right? So I'm like organizing it. How I it got looks. some tips for people so, on this one. 
No, okay, you start. You go first. I got some tips. So if I'm doing, because obviously I'm going to have kettlebells of some sort, but kettlebells in large quantities can get expensive. That'll eat up money yep. real quick. So I'll have a I'll have a pair that's probably like a like a 24 kilo yep. pair, and then probably one like 48 okay. kilo. Because I'll I can look you do, up. I'll keep I'll keep your math accurate so we can we can figure this out. You keep going. Twenty four yep. kilo. So I'll have two twenty four kilos, one forty eight kilo, because that's on the heavier side. That's probably all I'd ever need to do some of the really heavy stuff if I wanted to work towards goblet, you know, with goblets or squats or Turkish get ups even. Um, and I can do a lot of the presses and even some long form carries with the twenty fours. So I'm going to even, I'm going to hold myself to just three kettlebells for the sake of this exercise. So those three, I'd go with anywhere from three to five sandbags of the strong fit bags that I can load with anywhere from even 80 to 300 Mm -hmm. pounds, right? Because sand is cheap. So I'll probably spend a couple hundred bucks there on sand because I think the strong fit bags that I like to use, I can get, they have a package. He has a package called the Strongman mm-hmm. package. It's like 350 bucks for just the mm-hmm. bags. So then I'd go buy sand. That's a couple hundred bucks there. If I had those two, I'd get a, a pull-up station. So like a, a nice one mounted onto the wall or something like that. That's heavy duty and a nice mm-hmm. one. I'd probably go with, I'd probably just do one mace. Okay. I'm trying to be efficient sure. here. So I'd, I'd go with maybe a yep. 10 kilo yep. mace. That's probably putting me pretty close to about a thousand bucks. I'd imagine or maybe a little over yep. right now. So for the remaining few hundred bucks. Hmm, I don't really have enough to do any sort of rack and barbell setup unless i get you know we're assuming i'm buying new of all of this yeah right? this is literally like uh, uh, you, you know, know 1500 dollars uh budget yeah. and you know obviously you can go down the rabbit hole on facebook marketplace or anything like that but we're just talking straight msrp what i might do then is go I might, I might do some specialty stuff in the, because I'm thinking of jujitsu related and I've been watching a lot of, um, uh, of raspberry apes. I like that guy a lot. Instagram yeah, he's lately. A cool dude. He'd be fun he's to awesome. have on here sometime. He's awesome. I, I had him on did. the main That's pod a, yeah. a couple years ago. Um, some grip specific yeah. stuff, like kind of a couple of specialty mm-hmm. things, like some grip training things that would be more like fun kind of things to do because I've got heavy bags. Like if I've got a 300 pound bag, I don't need anything heavier than right. that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like 300 pound bag is freaking heavy. Brutal. So maybe I would do some, maybe some, I would say if I had whatever I had left over, I'd do some specialty grip equipment or even maybe like a heavy bag mm. yep. to punch yep. kind yep. of a, that kind of thing. Um, something like that, that would be more specialty type stuff. I think I feel good yeah. about that. I don't know. I mean, I'm probably I'm probably pretty close to fifteen hundred bucks with all that. I can right tell here. I've been a lot more poor than you. Because <laughs> I'm gonna. Well, we t- we said we're doing the MSRP yeah, uh, version. I, I mean, I can chintz together yeah, some built-in yeah. stuff and s- spend a third of that and get all, all right. of the things I need. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the liberty of being poor. I uh, I have Do done it. all of these things at times. So uh, cinder blocks, I get those. Uh, oh. And the cool thing that I would do with those was um, I got some of the screw-on dumbbells and so I wasn't I wasn't thinking DIY well, so stuff in this is scenario. again <laughs> I, I kind of held the cards so but this is okay, this is great okay. this is great info for somebody that's balling on a budget and some stuff that also one last thing I just because I just remembered I if I had in, if I had even like some form of anything I'd probably go play yeah carrier. okay so I, well. that was that was okay, one I was so going to go call you on it was a weight vest or carrier or something like that so yep but yep. center blocks and I would take the, um, the screw on dumbbells and lace them through the bottom. And then I yep. would do those as like a, a cheap man's farmer's carry. And I could, you know, I could yep. get those fairly heavy. Um, we had some, you know, it ended up being about 80 pounds, uh, per hand plus the center block, but it was, I, we would do fingers, mm-hmm. you know, we would do like two fingers or yeah. the middle fingers, whatever. Always. My coach was always big on hand and finger strength always. And I never dropped a deadlift in competition. I don't think, I don't think. 
Um, but anyway, so I would start there. I would have some cinder blocks. Go to Firestone, one of the distribution centers. They have to pay to destroy those big tractor tires. I would literally, mm. and they'll give them to you for free. You just sign, you just sign yeah. acceptance waiver. I would probably get yep. something in the turn in the in the weight range that I could maybe do some uh, some toss, like the old uh, the old tire toss, and oh, then I would yeah, get yeah. something in the sequential, maybe like a 200, 300, 400, 500 pound tire that I could flip. I like to do that inverted grip uh, where my palm or my, the backs of my hands face each other, deadlift with mm -hmm. those. Um, mm -hmm. I like to hit them with a sledgehammer. So obviously I would have a series of sledgehammers. I would have, uh, probably a 10 or 12 kilo mace, depending that, that, that range right there. I have a 10 and a 14 right now. I use the 14 mm -hmm. a lot, but the 10 is just, it's perfect. Like I can take that one anywhere mm -hmm. and it serves my purpose. So 10, 12 would be a great recommendation. I would do inertia waves, uh, for some conditioning. I mm. would probably follow the same, uh, boat as you and either do 224s and a, a 48 or uh, I might fool around and get I might try to fudge in 235 center mass bells because I like I like those because yeah. um, I do a lot of finger stuff on yeah. the edge of those I, I actually almost exclusively unless I'm doing curls do all of my stuff with that finger grip even when I'm doing shoulder press I'll pinch the lip yeah um, it's just a unique versatile kind of tool um, a weight vest for sure. I would definitely go the sandbag route. I would have a sled, um, mm, sled. Is yep. A and one. literally, and you can fashion I was gonna that say, out of a tire. You go well. up to, uh, you can do a tire, but you go to uh, a scrap yard and I guarantee you if you they, they'll, they'll have a big, you know, eight to quarter inch thick piece of metal, that's just straight and flat, cut that bitch, get a pipe, piece of pipe, weld it in the middle, hook a chain to it. Mm -hmm. And you have literally got a mm -hmm. perfect, perfect sled. Um, but those are the kind of things that I would do uh, a pull up bar. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. I don't know where my budget puts me at now, but I would think I'm probably in that thousand twelve hundred dollar range. Yeah. I would. Yep. Now, if, what, pe what would be the first piece of conditioning equipment you would buy if you if and best bang for the buck? as far as conditioning equipment on conditioning equipment. I mean, on Facebook marketplace, you can find a good e-bike, like a, you can find a good air bike for like 50 bucks. That's kind of what I was thinking was it was a fan yeah. bike of some sort. Like, and I almost prefer the old ones to the newer, like assault mm -hmm. bikes and yep. air dines anyways. Like we had a, uh, and actually when I was in the last gym, I was in, um, a couple of years back, I found like three of them that I had bought for the gym. And I just told the gal that owned the place. I'm like, look, I have a couple of fan bikes. I found three of them for 120 bucks yeah. for the lot. And she's like, sweet, bring them in. And they were like, literally the gold, like real thin yeah. railed, like huge fan, old fan bikes. Um, so yeah, I, if I was going, if, if I'm going like marketplace route, on yeah. this, I'd, I'd try to, you know, obviously stretch it a little bit more, but I would probably go fan bike or, Honestly, man, for conditioning stuff, I don't, I don't do a lot of equipment conditioning outside of the yeah. fan bike. So it's like my, most of the conditioning stuff that I do is either hill sprints or walking. That's what lunges. I was going to say. You know, like high, like high volume walking. If somebody lunges. really wants to, I mean, really wants to get their conditioning going, there are a few things better than a hill. Um, only things mm -hmm. better than a hill would be a hill plus a weight vest. Um, only thing mm -hmm. better than that would be pulling a light sled or carrying a mm -hmm. sandbag. I mean, there is nothing that will get you in shape like running a hill. Now, finding the appropriate yep. hill is the other thing too. Um, I've run some that are just too pitched, you know, and they're hard and, and they can be done three or four times. Not really a training tool, more of a testing tool, but you know, something that's just long and gradual, um, how long do you, do you segment your bursts? Like if you're doing a sprint, do you try to shoot for a four to 10 second kind of deal or do you, do you go a little bit uh, longer? I'm usually a little bit longer. I would probably say somewhere in like the 15 mm -hmm. second range. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that was just because that's what we did so much of. Like I, as you were talking about that, I'm, I was having almost some sort of PTSD <laughs> thinking about it and from college once a week we had a hill called Mountain View Hill at the bottom of Mount yeah. Helena in Helena that was a little under two miles away from campus. And so 
for track practice once a week for all four years I was there. It was usually our Saturday morning thing during the off season, mm-hmm. unless we had a meet, then he'd move it to like Thursday or something. So we had a day between that and yeah. our meet, right? So we would have our warm up would be, we'd have to run to the mm-hmm. hill. And the kicker was it's the last chunk. The part that we would sprint was the last block at the top of the hill from oh, the yeah. bottom. So you actually had to run about a mile and a quarter and then up the hill about three quarters of a mile to get to the last block that we were going to sprint. And that block was a normal like city block distance maybe, you know, so, um, but it was a pretty steep incline, which is why he liked that section of it because it was actually pretty steep. So we'd run there and then we'd do our, like our uh, EDDs, our everyday drills, like our skipping and all that kind of stuff on the block right below on the flat part Mm -hmm. of the road. And then we'd do anywhere from 10 to 15 sprints and ours would be literally you just sprint up stay tall good like as hard as you can and it was not like where you're grinding yourself in like where you're just fighting yourself because the whole point was to maintain posture and technique while you're sprinting right and then it was just walk down rest yeah like that was all the rest that you had once you got back down you just lined up went right again so like you learned the the real slow ways to yeah. walk when you're walking down the hill and walking down a hill. But we would do anywhere from 10 to 15 of those. And by the end, you're probably pushing the last, the last three to four of them. You're probably actually in the 23 to 25 second range. Cause you're just getting slower oh, yeah. by that point. Yeah. You know, um, but some anywhere from 15 to like 20 ish seconds was always kind of like the sweet spot that I felt like actually was worth yeah. Thing, like worth the effort. Cause I, if I was doing anything less than like 10 seconds on a sprint, I would need to, I, I always feel like I need to do like 30 yeah. of them. That you was, know what uh, I mean? so I had an interesting way to kind of connect with guys when I was at UK university of Kentucky football. Um, mm-hmm. one of the interesting things, and it, it actually kind of helped me apply to every other, <clears throat> um, I, I worked some F, SF groups, um, and mm-hmm. it, it applied to them too. Um, if you give something, to somebody that they enjoy and even more so to what we were talking about explaining a why um, the buy-in is so much higher. You know, you take a bunch of linemen and you say, Hey, let's run a hundred yards. They fucking hate you. Like they just hate you. Like it's not because <laughs> yeah. they can't understand it. They're they're in their mindset. Yeah. They are never going to run a hundred yards ever. So we ran around a system of understanding, okay, this kid is going to play 37 plays um, this game, or that's his projection. So we knew, you know, by an overshot of some degree, 20 plays or 20 rounds of this circuit was going to be effective to condition him for 40 plays of football. 10 sledgehammer hits to a tire, five flips to a tire, three three point stance, three yard drop, three yard right, 10 yard sprint. They would do 20 mm-hmm. rounds of that. And that made sense yep. to them from a conditioning standpoint. Look, everything after this tire hit and tire flip is football. This right here is the preparatory fatigue to get you conditioned mm-hmm. for football. So once they knew yep. that, or once they heard that, we had some of the smartest guys and we had some of the dumbest guys. They all understood that concept and their work capacity became more uh, immediately. And that's, that's something too about the, the mind training effect of having the understanding of what you're doing, why you're doing it and the potential benefit that you'll get from it changes the ability to output for it. You know, it's like if you, if you believe that you're going to get a positive feedback, whether you know it or not, you are doing more in the direction of that work than if you don't know why. I like that a lot. And we did actually something pretty similar back in high school now that I'm, I'm, cause now I'm just wreck, racking my brain through all of the different protocols that I've mm-hmm. been through, you know? And one of our conditioning things that we did back in high school, I can't even remember what we called it, but for skill guys, it was obviously different than what it was sure. for linemen, but it was literally, it was, it was essentially kind of like suicides to a mm-hmm. degree, but we had a certain amount of time and I can't remember what exactly what that is. So I'm like trying to remember this as I'm think as I'm remembering it. We had a certain amount of time we had to complete each sprint, but each sprint was a varied distance. So it was like forcing you to like go fast because it's kind of like the EMOM principle, right? right? Like if you get it done quick, you have more of that minute to rest, right? And that was kind of the the protocol. So we'd have like 
five different sets of five different varied lengths of mm-hmm. sprints. So it would be like seven yards, 12 yards, 40 yards, 30 mm-hmm. yards, eight yards, 20 yards. And that would be one set. And so you'd have like five, like eight seconds to do the first one. And then like you get back and you, you, you're like, <laughs> the worst was you'd be running back and you'd hear him lay out like three, yeah. <laughs> two, like counting down to start yep. the next one. And you're like, no. Yep. Um, but that was one of the, like the best just from a straight line conditioning standpoint, especially as a skill guy, like it was a receiver and a, and a running back and stuff that very distance. Cause you get super tired, but on the first couple sets, and then it's like, I have two 40 yards up and yeah. back in a row and I got to make it quick. Cause the time's <laughs> going to start. I'm not going to get any rest. So it's like, it's forcing you to do this extra intensity kind of going back to what we were talking yeah. about earlier, having just something with a time yeah. limit on it. Um, but those kind of things were super effective for, for like how I, felt good about where I was conditioning wise. So I haven't done anything like that in a long time, but as it relates to the hill sprints, that was two of probably the more effective things can, and that's just straight up yeah. running. I mean, that's what I've done my whole life, but that's just what was <laughs> worked best for yeah, me. Well, you, know? you know, one of the things that we had, uh, that we also toyed with was, um, you know, kind of the, what you're talking about, the athlete or position specific stuff. And my guys specifically, the linemen, I was enjoying with them, you know, a lot of times they, they deadlift them to hell. Like they just put, they just wanted to be strong as hell, strong as hell. I wanted strength and the deadlift became an accessory movement. It became a repetition movement because these guys have to play successive downs and they get tired and they're fat as fuck. And most of them are completely out of shape. But again, if you can get them training or in a training mindset of this deadlift is going to make me stronger because I'm doing repetitions with it. It's a very effective conditioning tool, but to the sport specific play of the lineman versus a receiver, for example, or a, a D back, I would have my lineman do heavy one arm uh, snatches and kettlebell cleans mm. three point stance over the kettlebell, get this thing over your head, get it to your shoulder, whatever the protocol was for the day that took some pressure off of them of having to learn and perfect the triple extension of a clean or a, of a snatch. Because with the one arm, your body almost self-corrects. I don't know why. I'm not smart enough to explain why. But there's a lot of overthought and a lot of misprocess in people trying to learn that. You tell somebody to get a bar or a kettlebell over their head, you've got to keep your arm slightly bent and then extended. They will figure that inertia out. Well, guess what position they're going to be doing as soon as they come up? They're going to be slinging that arm straight up into somebody's chest and popping. So we would do single arms there. Whereas my receivers, they would either be on one of the high grip uh, pyramid bars or like uh, diamond bars. Because when they're over in their split stance and their hands are hanging at their side, that's essentially where I wanted them doing their deadlifts. In a split stance, heel off the ground on the rear foot, doing power Mm -hmm. explosive deadlifts against like bands to keep them grounded. But that's the position that you're popping out of. Now let's maybe take the weight off and have you jump and switch your feet down, switch your feet down, switch your feet down. Those kind of things where a player, even if it's fucking bullshit, even if it is absolutely not based in science at all, if their head can look at that and say, oh, that looks like what I do, or that makes sense to what I'm doing, they will buy in and they will believe in it. And I will tell you, a player that believes in the program that is complete crap will outperform your science that someone doesn't believe yep. every single time. Totally. Every time I have a, you know, I got a sure. few minutes here before we got a piece out. Um, but I have one question that I thought of that would kind of close with. So try to remember like all of your, as an athlete in an either team environment or, or even in the powerlifting days or whatever, because we've been talking a lot about conditioning, mm-hmm. right? What was the one and maybe you had to do it multiple times, like over the course of the time that you were an athlete. What's the one conditioning workout that you just absolutely was like the worst one that you dreaded? So, because it was because it was just brutal. Do you have one? That yeah, comes Coach to mind? Smallwood. He was our basketball coach, uh, Bill Smallwood, and um, man, tough guy. I, I've still got a lot of demons to deal with with that guy. Like uh, I loved him, looked up to him completely, and it was just a, I could never get over the hurdle of like you did it, kid. You know what I mean? Like no matter how hard I worked, um, and I, I've seen him a few times, and 
like he's great. He was awesome with my brothers, got along with them, got along with my parents. But for me, it was just like, I, there was just something there. But anyway, he would have uh, conditioning days of eight, six, four, two. And it was, you know, okay. one length of the court was one and you would do an eight, six, four, two. Oof. It was eight and a four. I mean, eight in a minute, uh, six and 45, four and 32 and 15. And that was the, that was the way that you, you could finish. And it was mm-hmm. eight, eight, six, four twos. And if you, if you, oh. and if you didn't, if you didn't miss any through six, you got to shoot two free throws, uh, to absolve you from the next. So extremely oh, fatigued nice. and yeah. you have to go up to the foul line. You get two free throws. If you miss one, you do another one. If you miss two, you do two more, but if you make one, you get, you know, whatever. So that was just the worst because there were so many times like we would see it on the it, eight eights, you know, like we knew <laughs> it wasn't just eight eights. It was eight, eight, six, four twos. And mm-hmm. that was just basically a day where you went in, you stretched, you did the layup drill, and then you just ran because we were assholes. Like, yeah. <laughs> that was one of the worst ever uh, was, was for That's me. I mean, we had one. soccer had long distance runs, but those timers, yeah. when you're looking at it and you know, there's penalties, there's push up penalties. Uh, if you don't make them and then you're doing push-ups in your rest period and then you're running, you know, it's just like, it just starts to slowly grind you down into nothing. Did the free throws just absolve the shooter or everybody from having oh, to do it again? We, we had bets all the time. It was like, okay, if he makes both of these, everybody's done. If he misses yeah. one of these, you all have to get another one. So now it's nine. Yeah. So, and it's always, <laughs> yeah. and the guy, like the guy inevitably is like, the nicest guy and like he's the one that fucks it up for the whole team like you know when it's somebody that you expect to do well coach is like all right normal rules but when it was like some kid that everybody like i don't want to say what i was going to say but like the kid that everybody in the school was hoping makes a basket that year gets to go up and he gets his chance to end practice for the team and he fucking misses (laughs) misses it (laughs) yeah so I'll tell you what happened to a kid that did that one time, man. That's this, good. I mean, we were bad, and this is why we had to run so much. But I won't say his name. But this kid, he um, he fucked it up, and he penalized us heavily, and then told on a couple of us, <laughs> them, told on a couple of them for giving him a hard time. So on the bus, you know how on your school bus windows, how when you take down with the two snaps, you take them down, that leaves yep. like a yep. cross frame. Well, he fell asleep mm-hmm. on that cross frame. Dude had a big old head of hair. Well, we took pre-wrap and wrapped his head while he was still asleep. At one point, going under this dude's head and like doing that. Then we took the athletic tape, started whipping it around his head. And then we woke him up and started beating the shit out of him. (laughs) Because he couldn't couldn't get away because his freaking head. I mean, we weren't weren't, just killing him. But I mean, we were were punching him in the ribs pretty good. But. I mean, imagine waking up in your head's freaking taped to a damn bus window. Oh my we had gosh. to run pretty. We had to run pretty oh, good. That brutal. was one of the worst, uh, most trouble I ever got in as a kid. We got back, and it was midnight. My mom had my twin brothers. They were in the car. They were screaming. She had come home, you know, pick me up after a game, and that all happened. And like every other kid is gone. My mom's at the glass window, like peering in, trying to see what's going on. It's me and four other dudes just running our dicks off. And, uh, the thing was, I'm running you till you quit. And that's, this is, this is probably telling of why coach Smallwood hated me. I was like, I'm not fucking quitting. I'm never going to fucking, I'll run till in the morning. I know you got to work. I will miss school. (laughs) Like I am not fucking quitting. (laughs) And eventually the coaches had to get in a conversation about ending it because it was like, dude, I'm tired. Like he's not going to quit. That's who I was. That's, that's who I've always been my whole life. I'm just an asshole. What about you? Uh, I have two that come and they're both college track ones. Um, one of them, we called them 53s. Mm-hmm. And it was it was one of the ones that the, the sprinters and the jumpers did. And then once I moved to doing multis, I had to do it a lot more frequently for whatever reason. Um, it was five 500s followed by three 300s. So on its face, that sounds bad, but the kicker of it was when you run the 500s, you start on the straightaway. Mm-hmm. So you're coming through it, or you start. You start, yeah. Yeah, start on the straight. You start on the straight instead of starting mm-hmm. on the corner. 
So you're finishing on the straight going at, at that last hundred, but you have to come through the 400 mark at 52 or below. Oh. So, which is, that's I moving. mean, that's that cooking. fucking moving. That's cooking. Especially, especially like on the third or fourth or fifth yeah, one. With a hundred meters you still know? to go. So, 100 meters still to go. So you had to come through it like 50 sub 52 and then just kind of coast at that, you know, as, mo- as best you could keep that speed through the last hundred. It wasn't like you're grinding out yeah, that yeah. last one ever. So then uh, you'd have your break or whatever. You do that five times and then you have your break and then you had to do three 300s, which we also started on the straight. So you run into a corner and then out of it on the straight and you had to come through the 300s at sub 37. And you had less break on those. And so like volume wise, that wasn't even the most volume that we ever did in a single running workout, but the way that you had to run it essentially race pace for that first four and then race pace coming. It's like essentially it was 400 meter training, right? So you're going longer than 400 and then you're working shorter than 400, working the like the grind into the corner part of it, you know? And so that one was brutal. And it just every time we had to do that, we said we got 53s today. Everybody's like, ah, oh, had that whole thing. And then we had another one which was even sh- which was shorter. And I don't know that it was necessarily harder, but it was harder to do correctly. Yeah. I guess what without like trying to hit how we were supposed to do it. So it was just two. It was um, 150s, or no? Excuse me. It was mm-hmm. 200. It was a full 200, and it, we do 10 200s. And you'd have, you only have walk back rest. So that, I mean, that was your only rest, but you started, this was why it was so hard. Cause nobody, we only had one, we had one guy that always did it perfectly. And only as a senior, we had one young kid that came in that was fast enough to do it, how the older guy did. So you'd have 10, 200s and you'd start at, I think 31 or 32 yeah. seconds for the first one. You had to drop a second every consecutive 200 to the Ooh. last one. So by the time you're coming through your last 200, you should be sub 23. <sighs> right? Which for a lot of guys is like that's what they yeah. race at. And you're trying to ask them to do it at the you know, that should be what they're racing at if you're running 200 right, right. in college, just sub 23. Yeah. But you're asking them to do that on the 10th of 10 with just walk back rest. And we only ever had one guy and then I'm trying to remember I think we had a freshman when I was a senior that was just a mm-hmm. freak that could come in and do it where he did his 10th one and like low 22s. And everybody else like basically stopped at 20, like couldn't get faster than 25 after like the sixth or seventh one because you're just wrecked. And so it was those things where you're like trying to hit a mark and not doing it. Like there wasn't any extra punishment for doing it, but it was forcing you like you have to run faster when you're tired. You know what I mean? Like you can't just coast through this. And so that one was a total mind just breaker to do that second one. Yeah, that stuff like – I look back at it now and I'm there are aspects I'm missing myself in regards to the way that some of the stuff that I went through, you know, with coaches and whatnot, as far yeah. as their conditioning. Um, I mean, it was, and again, I mean, I turned out, you know, in all my sports, not, I was not great, like at a level of greatness in every sport I played, but I feel like yeah. I extracted a hell of a lot out of this body in every physical endeavor mm-hmm. I've ever gotten. And I just don't know if mm-hmm. you get that. I don't know if I'm the type of player that would have gotten all of that out of myself in a system where it was like cush and everything was like, again, yeah. I don't want to say a guy's name, but I can think of one person in sports and performance where it's like, you're basically in a luxury setting to train. And it's like, I don't really want that, you know? Yeah, exactly. We had that, um, this is just the last thing. Cause I gotta, gotta, gotta bounce. Out, but I told you I'm in. I'm heading down um, this weekend to Colorado Springs and uh, going to go work at the D2 Outdoor Nationals yep. meet. My my track coach from college who came up with all this stuff I've been talking about has been there ever since I graduated. He left my school and he's been in Colorado State Pueblo ever nice. since then. And that's who's hosting it this year. So I'm going down to hang out with him and my buddy of mine uh, who was, a, I think he was six-time national champion pole vaulter. In both indoor and outdoor. savages, we're going down to like work. Yeah, it's just nuts. But uh, and I think we probably talked about it in like the very first episode we talked about coaches. But he was one that he came in the first day because when I joined the track team, I was the first track 
athlete that Carroll mm-hmm. had had. Carroll College had had because they brought back the track program my freshman year as you I was brought coming it back. In. I was the first athlete. I was the first athlete that signed and they hadn't even hired him yet as a coach. So we went like the first month before they hired him and he brings us in. There's like 20 of us on the team total. And he brings us in the first meeting and he had come from, uh, he was previously at Western Illinois and he comes in and he knows that like, we have nothing Mm -hmm. from funding standpoint. We have no equipment. We have nothing that we need. And we're just like 20 (laughs) short country white kids from Montana, Idaho, that he's got to build a fast track right. out of, you know what I mean? So he's like, I'll tell you right now, we are going to be in, this is how he like opens it up. He goes, we are going to be fitter than every person you run against. He's like, we may not be faster in every meet. We will be fitter than everybody at every meet we go into. And like having that be like essentially the first two sentences that he spoke yeah. to us, we're like, Okay, game, game on. on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you established the tone right then. And like, this is going to be really oh, hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But we'll probably have to tell some some Coach Matt Morris stories. Oh, yeah. There's plenty. He's, he's, oh, man, he was awesome. But we'll wrap it there for today. Uh, we'll cut it, and we've got some fun stuff we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. So we'll catch up and just keep trucking. All right, man. you too, man. Thank you guys so much for listening. Appreciate it.